Good morning, church. Christians often feel daunted by Jesus' commands. I mean, think about his first command to follow him. He implies that you need to drop what you're doing and follow him. And if, and if dropping what you're doing wasn't enough, Jesus says, pick up your cross. In other words, endure suffering that comes from following me. That can be pretty daunting to hear. But Jesus has more and more commands. He has the audacity to tell us to love our enemies. He tells us to guard our hearts, not do whatever is on our hearts. He teaches us that no one can worship both God and money. And if you struggle with just one of Jesus's commands, I mean, how can you begin to obey all of them? I mean, if you're a Christian for any length of time, you're very quickly confronted with the reality that Jesus asks a lot of us, a lot from us. He doesn't demand a portion of your life. He asks for everything. And you might look around at what you have to offer and think, well, I don't have what it takes. I don't have enough. Or maybe you just, you wish you just didn't feel so alone in trying to follow him. Maybe you would have a better shot if you weren't swimming upstream in our culture. Maybe following Jesus would be easier if we had strength in numbers, right? It's difficult to yell out, who's with me? And no one responds. Because sometimes Jesus, following Jesus feels like that. Like we're, we're confronted with all of these difficult commands, and we're the only one trying. And on top of all that, it just seems like some of Jesus' commands set us up for failure. I mean, he tells us to go out and make disciples of all nations. And I want to say, Jesus, that's like telling someone to grow crops in the desert. It's just impossible. I, I mean, my friends and, and my coworkers and, and, and my colleagues and, and my extended family, we can all think of those groups and, and say, well, they aren't interested in Jesus. They aren't interested in church. How can you tell us to go out and make disciples when we know that they won't be interested. Now, if you're not a Christian, you may be thinking, like, this is the worst advertisement for Christianity I've ever heard. I mean, this guy makes it sound so difficult, too difficult. But here's the thing, if you're not a Christian, or if you're even thinking about it, here's, here's what I promise you. I'm not going to pull a bait and switch on you. I'm not going to say it's easy to follow Jesus, and then later on say, surprise, it's a lot more difficult than I told you. I think following Jesus asks for everything we have. But this is what I also believe to be true at the same time. I don't think Jesus sets us up for failure. And I think this passage actually shows why through the Holy Spirit, we are not set up for failure. So I just want to talk a little bit about last week before we start. Last week, we started this series called God's empowering presence, and it's all about the Holy Spirit. And we said last week that the Holy Spirit is fully God. The Holy Spirit is not the force that the Jedi use, that the Holy Spirit is not a ghost or goosebumps you feel on your arms. The Holy Spirit is God. And the phrase that we ended with, that's going to be a refrain throughout this series that we'll keep coming back to, is that the Holy Spirit 
is God. God empowering us, God leading us, and God within us. The Holy Spirit is God, God empowering us, God leading us, and God within us. And I think we're just going to cover one aspect today in Luke chapter 1 that I think shows that the Holy Spirit leads us. So if you don't have a, a Bible with you, if you didn't bring one, we have black Bibles in the pew in front of you. And, and get one of those out. We're on page 887. I want you to, to see these words on the page. Uh, it's from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Um, this, this story, thank you so much, Dia, for, for reading this story. It's, it's really incredible. Um, it starts with a couple. And this is what the Apostle Luke says about them. He says, There is a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commands and regulations of the Lord. Okay, so this married couple is a Jewish family. And the tribes that, uh, that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth came from were priestly. And so the, the equivalent in our case would be like ministers' kids who grew up and also became ministers. And we see that they're a really solid couple. They're, they're, they're the kind of people that you would look up to and want to be like. Now, they're not perfect, but, but they're just examples that other, other Jews would, would look up to. But the problem is there's one blessing that they lack, and that's children. Because in the next verse, it says, Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Now, I want to be sensitive to those of you who've experienced infertility, whether in a short term or very long term. But you can, it, it doesn't take a ton of imagination to see how this would hang over their heads. In a society that really valued children and, and, and thought that everybody should have kids this would be so frustrating to live with day in and day out. You know that over time, their hope for kids would diminish as they age. But despite that frustration, they keep going to work. Zechariah keeps doing his job as a priest until one day, everything changes. Because once when Zechariah was serving as a priest before God, this is verse 8, when he was serving as a priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priest, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. And at the time of the offering, the whole of the assembly was praying outside. Okay, so you've got to picture this moment for a second. Zechariah is inside the Jewish temple to worship God, and he's in the middle of leading worship. He's offering incense, which is kind of like a burning candle, and the smoke symbolizes prayers and worship that go up to God. And it was a privilege for a priest to lead this part of the service. So this is a really big deal for Zechariah. And he's in this enclosed space, so no one can see him. But when the Jewish worshipers look up and see the smoke rise, it is their signal to pray. So in this rare and holy moment, Zechariah is leading worship. Everybody is, is wa watching what he's doing when the smoke rises, and this happens in verse 11. There appeared to him an angel standing at the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was terrified. Fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. 
for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Okay, so it wouldn't be my preference to hear that I'm going to be a dad in the middle of a sermon, but, but this is when he finds out. That after all this time, after all of these years praying to become a father and, and seemingly hearing the answer no, he finally hears the answer yes. But it's not just that he's going to be a father. The angel says, John will be great in the sight of the Lord. John will be great in the sight of the Lord. Why? Because even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, the last week we preached that the Holy Spirit is fully God. So the angel is saying, your son, from the very from the very moment of his conception, is full of the Holy Spirit. And the reason why, the angel says in verse 16, if you can see that on your Bible, is that John will turn people to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, who is a prophet, he will go before the Lord to turn the hearts of their parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. And this phrase is so important for all of us to hear this morning, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So, so listen to that purpose that the angel gives to John due to the Holy Spirit. He says, John will turn people to the Lord, will go before him, and will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The first truth of this series is that the Holy Spirit is fully God. The second truth of this series is that the Holy Spirit is the God who prepares us. Last week, we heard the story of the Holy Spirit sending a messenger to Mary, telling her that she was going to have a child. And this week, we hear the very same thing for Zechariah. The Holy Spirit is in the business of preparing the unprepared. And God didn't have to. He doesn't have to prepare us for anything. He could totally surprise us. But instead, because of his grace, he sends us news ahead of time. I mean, just think about all of the angelic messengers throughout Scripture. They're constantly telling us unprepared people, just so you know, in the future, this is going to happen. I mean, think about Zechariah's life up until this point. He had been called priest a lot. He had been called husband a lot, but he had never been called dad. And he kept praying, and he kept praying. And he would have been very surprised had Elizabeth told him all of a sudden that she was pregnant. But what God does in his grace and in his mercy and as a gift to Zechariah, he says, you're going to have a child. God, the Holy Spirit, is the God who prepares us. Um, before my wife Allison and I ever applied for the job at this church, uh, Allison's grandparents actually came to this church. Um, many of you know them. It's, they're, they're Wade and Judy McLeod, and they raised their kids, uh, Scott, Lee, and Holly, in this church. And some of you probably knew them uh, when they were uh, much younger, and eventually their, their daughter Holly met a man named Alan, and they got married at this church 28 years ago. 
And this December, Allison and I got married here in the same place as her parents. But when Allison and I were coming to look at this place for a venue, we had no idea that this would happen. And we were actually, we, we were in that hallway right there, and we turned the corner, and we saw Eddie. Eddie Sharp, he was the previous preacher here, for those of you who don't know him. And uh, Holly actually knew Eddie. They had, they, uh, had history, and so they, they were joking with each other. And Holly said, hey, Eddie, if you're thinking about retiring, you should just hire my son-in-law to replace you. And she had no idea, no idea that Eddie had already been thinking about that. She was just making a joke. And Eddie looked at me, and he was like, we should talk. And I was like, yeah, we should. I planned this, you know. This is what I always wanted from coming here today. Um, but it wasn't my idea. None of that was planned by me. And, and I don't say it's a God thing very often. I think sometimes we apply that phrase to situations that we just so happen to like. But I think this is one of those situations where the Holy Spirit was preparing us. I mean, that's decades of history, all leading up to that strange encounter in the hallway right outside this room. And I remember talking to my brother about all of this, and I was saying, I can't believe this is all happening. It's just such an amazing gift. I mean, everything is just too perfect here to be a coincidence, but I don't want to say it's God's will. And he interrupted me and he said, Mitch, do not apologize on behalf of God. In other words, do not be embarrassed that the Holy Spirit prepared without letting you know. And if you're a Christian, I bet you can think of times where the Holy Spirit has prepared you. I bet you were in a difficult situation at some point, and it went a lot more smoothly than it should because the Holy Spirit had done work ahead of time. Don't be embarrassed. Mitch, don't apologize on behalf of God because the Holy Spirit is the God of preparation. And the irony that we hear in the passage is that Zechariah, this very holy and righteous man, struggles to receive this preparation. If you, if you have your Bible still out, you can look at verse 18. Zechariah says to an angel, it's just incredible, he says, How will I know that this is so? I'm an old man and my wife is getting on in years. And the angel replies, man, if you don't think the Bible is funny, I think this is funny. I'm Gabriel. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you to bring you this good news. You sit here in your little tiny human temple. When I go to work, I'm in heaven. You're going you're gonna to ask me if I have it on good authority that you're going to have a child or how it's going to work out? Trust me, I know. And I, I just think this is amazing. In verse 20, he's like, you just have a case of opening your mouth too soon, disease. So... The angel says, but you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled, so you will become mute, unable to speak, just as an object lesson about the next time I might give you some news. I mean, this scene might remind you of, of what happened to Mary 
right? They both receive a message from an angel. They're initially very afraid, and the angel says to both of them, don't be afraid. They're both told that they're going to have children despite incredible circumstances, and both of them ask this question, how will this be so? But only Zechariah is punished. And I've often thought, why is he the one who's punished? But, no, I remembered my, my parents used to get on to me, not for what I said, but how I said it. And they would say, I don't like that tone. I'm pretty sure it's not in the Bible, but I'm pretty sure his tone was off when he said, how will this be so? And the angel says back, no, 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 you're not just asking because you're curious. You don't believe me. And the irony is incredible that I came to you during a worship service to try to prepare you for the fact that you're going to have a child, and that child is going to prepare the way for Jesus. This is all for you, Zechariah, and yet you still don't believe. And like Zechariah, we really struggle sometimes to receive that preparation from the Holy Spirit. I mean, think about a person you know who isn't a Christian. And think about inviting them to church, maybe next Sunday. And some of you may be thinking, but I already know he'll say no. Or I already know that she will say no. And I thought the same thing with some of my friends. But what that totally ignores is the possibility that the Holy Spirit is preparing them for your invitation. I mean, sometimes we have golden opportunities to talk about our faith with someone. You go to get lunch with one of your colleagues, and for whatever reason, for the first time ever, they're talking about God. And you think, I just want to have my tacos and not talk about God. That's it. But they're already talking about God, and you have this incredible opportunity handed to you on a silver platter by the Holy Spirit, but we miss it. We're like Zechariah. We have these incredible opportunities and incredible preparation from the Holy Spirit, and we say, but I already know what's going to happen. I already know what's going to happen. But if you start acting on the belief that the Holy Spirit is the God of preparation, you will be surprised at how many coincidences happen. Our college minister, Carrie, was planning a talk on baptism for uh, the college students, and, and if you're not aware of what that is, baptism is this symbolic act w where we confess our faith, and one of the students actually came ready to be baptized, and Carrie told me later, I just loved this line, he said, you know, if you actually believe that God is preparing people for baptism, you would bring clothes to get wet. And if the Holy Spirit is the God who prepares us, that might that might mean he does things outside of our purview. He might be preparing someone for baptism. He might be preparing someone to come back to church. He might be preparing them for all sorts of things. And all we have to do is show up with clothes to get wet. All we have to do is show up. And all this means that Jesus does not set us up to fail. Who knows what the Holy Spirit might be preparing for you right now? I mean, you might find it really difficult to love your enemies, but the Holy Spirit is sending difficult people your way and wants you to love them. And you may think it's too difficult to resist the lure of money, but who knows? 
the Holy Spirit might be giving you more and more opportunities to live simply. You might think it's, it's, no, no, it's impossible to say no to the peer pressure I face. There's no way, but who knows? The Holy Spirit might be preparing the right words. I mean, I just love some of the images throughout the Old Testament of God going ahead of us, going before us. Deuteronomy 31 says, The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Psalm 139 says, God, you go before me and you follow me. Your, you place your hand of blessing on my head. And I love this from, from Isaiah. For the Lord will go before you and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. I love that last image, that military image of God, that he goes before us and he comes in as backup. He's on the front lines and he's our reinforcements. He's the first to charge into territory that is unfamiliar to you and to me, but he follows closely behind to clean up all the messes we've made. That is our God, and that describes the Holy Spirit perfectly. Now, one disclaimer, this does not mean that everything you try is going to work, right? You might start a conversation and feel led by the Holy Spirit to, to talk about God with a non-Christian, and it might go horribly. I mean, at the, at the end, you'll just believe that you're responsible for the Crusades. Sometimes it goes bad, really bad. Sometimes you'll tell someone the, the, the reason why you behave the way you do, and they'll think you're ridiculous. You can do all sorts of good things, and people will respond negatively. Jesus himself promises that you'll be hated by all because of, our, because of my name. But you should know that before you arrive on the scene, before you show up, the Holy Spirit might be doing something for you might be preparing you far ahead of time. And I think this is amazing when you actually see this happen in Scripture. Because in Luke's Gospel, there's this, there's this scene where Jesus meets a centurion, which is a higher-up military officer in the Roman Empire. And the Jews typically did not like them, but it specifically says that the Jews respected this officer because he was so generous with his money. And the centurion meets Jesus— and Jesus helps the centurion. If you flip all the way over to the book of Acts, which is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, Luke tells a story of a man named Cornelius. And who is Cornelius? He's a centurion. He's a higher-up military officer in the Roman Empire. And the book of Acts says that he was a God-fearer, and the Jews loved him because of his generosity. So there's so many chapters in between those two characters, but I believe they're the same man. And if you don't see the connection, you don't see that the Holy Spirit doesn't just prepare us. He's prepared other people long before us. This is what the Holy Spirit does over and over and over again. The Spirit goes before us. The Spirit clears the way. The Spirit makes our path straight. We may not always be fully prepared, but where the Spirit is, there's always preparation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that we can be more receptive 
to the Holy Spirit's preparation. Please, Father, help us when we think there's no way we can follow your commands. Help us when we feel daunted. Help us when we feel unprepared or outmatched or in hostile territory. And help us know that wherever you send us, you have gone before. You've charted the territory, and you'll be with us, and you will follow up behind us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.